paid program and does not necessarily reflect the views of WABC. Welcome to the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour, bringing you honest talk, even when it bites. Now on 77 WABC, here are your hosts, Alex Alexanian and Brenda Bush. Welcome, 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 and it's 6.06, too early for me. This is Alex Alexanian with my co-host, Brenda Bush, with the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour. And yes, the dogs have taken over the studio again at very early hours. As you know, dogs do wake up early in the morning. And they have taken over the studio that is famous for talk, that we're going to be talking about animals and pets. Um, and if you've ever loved a pet, you know this is the most critical hour of the week for you because um, you can hear all about the politics every other hour, but you can only hear about your pets at this time, 6 a.m. Sunday mornings. Our number is 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. And today's topic is shelter directors, and they're going to be on talking in their own words. Shelter directors are the most important people in terms of an animal's life is concerned. They're the ones that are the decision makers, which decide, you know, something in the order of 10 million animals get inside of shelters uh, somehow, one way or another, front door, back door, whatever. They get into the U.S. shelters, and uh, 4 million of them don't, well, get out the back door, meaning dead. And the shelter directors are the key to this. And they're going to be here, a couple of the major shelter directors of this nation that you would never hear from will be participating in the show in a few minutes. But before we do that, we usually have a little chat session here, and something came by my, my um, newswire this week, which I had to talk about. Uh, President Obama this week went to, uh, to a meeting, a secret meeting, to congratulate the 81 members of the SEAL team that killed um, Osama bin Laden. And, and only one of those was a named SEAL. Yeah. And it was a dog. Yeah. Only one was um, named. Publicly actually. named. Yeah. Of the 81 members, one of them was not human. And uh, that's because one of them was a dog. And the dog's name was Cairo. Is. The seal dog. Um, I was shocked. I got to tell you, I I was absolutely shocked that there was actually a dog with the team that went in to get Osama. I, you uh, didn't know that? I, every, I thought everybody knew no, that. No. I didn't know that. So I, I kept reading this story. And, and it turns out that, uh, that Cairo, the seal dog, was an elite U.S. Navy seal and is a Belgian Malinois. Uh, which is simi- similar, uh, yeah. it's a breed similar to a German Shepherds, smaller, more compact, with uh, and it weighs in at about 30 kilos. Yeah, they're a little bit smaller. They look very similar. If you, I mean, it, it's hard for, you know, people who are not into the breeds to really tell the difference. But Yeah, we're going to put a link up to a, a tremendous story that I saw about them and what happened and about the dogs and how they do. Some of the stuff that I read in the story was just unbelievable. The highest jump that any human being has ever made from an airplane is about 30,000 feet, okay? Guess who was jumping on that one with the thir- from 30,000 feet? With the dog. It's with qu- a dog. It's quite amazing to see the photographs. And in that article that we're going to post, the photographs are uh, just unbelievable. With the dog strapped onto the front of, uh, of you know, and, and jumping. I mean, and, and the visual, I can't imagine what goes through these dogs' minds. Because you can't rationalize with the dogs what's happening. Well, uh, not being a dog, it's kind of tough. Yeah. You know, but but let me let me tell you the even more amazing piece is that, you know, you kind of wrap your mind around the fact that the dog is strapped onto the guy and he's loyal to the guy. So he goes for the ride. He loves the wind, whatever. They throw the dog out on his own parachute. Sometimes. They Sometimes do. Yeah. the dog jumps on his own. And he's outfitted with some amazing, you know, protective gear and little microphone and camera and, you know, right now, vid- they, they, video now and for the for the. For accuracy's sake, okay, they I think they throw the dog out only when they're over water, when it's a water yeah, landing, that's from what, what I, I understand. Read. Yeah, that's yeah. what I read. But it is pretty amazing to yeah. think that a dog is pushed out of a plane at 10,000 feet, and he actually flies down, parachutes, and jumps into the water, comes out, and, and, and helps in the attack. I mean, just, just amazing stuff, right? Yeah, there are a lot of dogs serving in the military. I guess that's another topic for us, right? This list of topics keeps growing. I think that's another topic we're going to have to do, military dogs. Yeah, there it's, are a it's lot one of those, them. It's there one of those amazing them. topics, you know. It, w- when you hear about stuff like that, you kind of makes you, like, put your frame of mind hat on and say, wait, they go in with the SEAL team. They're smart enough 
to be part of a SEAL team that is the most elite force the U.S. Army has, okay, which is the biggest army in the world, by the way, okay? And it's the most elite team out there, and they're a member of the most elite team. And these guys are considered to be furniture by the law? Wait, how, is, how does that make any sense? Who wrote these laws? It doesn't make any I sense. I mean, who wrote these laws? And whoever wrote these laws should be at Bellevue Hospital in New York because we have a room for them. We just need a very big room because they're mostly politicians. There's a lot, There's of, a lot them. of them. There's a lot of them. It's kind of like disease that grows on trees, you know? Anyway, um, oh, what is that? Somebody called and left a message. I hope it was a nice message about <laughs> the dog. <laughs> I hope it's not one of those nasty messages that we get very, very often. And I hope it wasn't a politician, let me tell you. <laughs> it's a little early for they're that. They're on my crosshairs this morning anyway. Um, I think we're going to take off, come back from a commercial, and go to our two major shelter directors, directors of the Los Angeles shelter system, the largest shelter system in the country, and the Miami shelter system, which is probably the third biggest shelter well, system in the Well, it's in the, the top five, I think, anyway, but yeah. very large. We'll yeah. be with us, and you will be hearing from them how they do the job that they do, which is not an easy job, my friends. So we'll be back. This is Alex Alexania with the Dogs Endangered Radio Hour. Our number is 800-848-WABC, and we'll be right back. Hi, this is Alex. And Brenda. From the Dogs Endangered Radio Hour with a special message for you, WABC listeners. Our charity, the Buddy Fund, has saved over 50,000 dogs from being killed, placing them in loving homes across the country. Through our program, Dogs in Danger, we give a voice to the voiceless and raise awareness about issues and indiscretions in the animal community that would otherwise go unnoticed. However, as a charity, we are dependent on donations from listeners like you to keep the Dogs in Danger radio hour alive on WABC Radio. We ask that you please look into your hearts. And if you support our cause and want to continue help us make a difference, please log on to dogsindanger.com and make a donation to the Buddy Fund. Any amount you can spare would go a long way in helping keep animals out of kill shelters and informative programming on the air. It's up to listeners like you to help make the difference in the life of a furry little friend. So please log on to dogsindanger.com and make a difference. Love rabbits? So do we. Come visit the Best Friends Animal Society website during Rabbit Week, July 18th through the 24th, to explore everything about rabbits. Best Friends Animal Society is working all around the country to help animals and to bring about a time when there are no more homeless pets. Plus, our very special pet sanctuary is unlike any other on Earth. It's something you have to experience to believe. So come visit us at bestfriends.org. That's bestfriends.org to learn more about the magic. And don't forget to join us for Rabbit Week. Barkable Radio, the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour on 77 WABC. Here are your hosts, Alex and Brenda. Welcome back to the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour. And uh, today we're talking shelter directors. And we have uh, with us today, um, as our first guest, the director of the Miami-Dade Animal Services Shelter, Dr. Sarah Pisano. Good morning, Dr. Pisano. Good morning. How are you? Good, thank you. Thanks for joining us at this early hour. Sure. And uh, um, so we uh, we have um, a couple of uh, shelter directors joining us this morning, and uh, you're the first to be with us, and we're proud to say um, uh, Dogs in Danger uh participating shelter so um, many of the dogs although not all of them are listed on the dogs in danger website so for anyone who's listening this morning um, uh, please check out uh, the florida listings Um, we do have uh, miami date as well as a few other shelters um, in the florida state so um, first let me start with how many dogs does a miami shelter take in every year well um, last year we took in 36,000 animals that's dogs and cats. Um, 14,000 were cats, and the rest were dogs. So we're getting um, an, anywhere between 100 and 250 animals a day, depending on the season. In the winter, for some reason, every year, our intake increases. The winter is about 2,000 a month, and the summer is about 4,000 a month. Wow, that's a lot of animals. Uh, Dr. Pizarro, good morning. This is Alex Alexanian. Good morning. How are you? Good, thank you. Wonderful. Um, from what we were able to gather from your website, um, you take in about 37,000 dogs and cats a year. And uh, from the website, we see that about 
20,000 of them were euthanized. Is that correct? Is that, that's about the right numbers? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, unfortunately, yes. What do you think of this system that we have in place in the United States, uh, the current system of animal control that basically legalizes the killing of unwanted pets, as we just talked about, 37,000 in the front door, 20,000 out the back door. We, we usually refer to that as the dead door. Um, what, what's your feelings about the? Let's go way high up in the sky, go to 35,000 feet and maybe 40,000 feet where even dogs don't jump out of planes. Um, and ask you, what do you think of the system that allows for this as a legal process? I think the problem is that county government and, and probably human nature is more reactive than proactive. So if you look at, um, you know, everywhere, not just Miami, there is not enough money actually mandated for spay-neuter. And we know that that is what's gonna decrease shelter intake. So I really think that that is the crux of the problem. You know, in Miami, just like every other community in the last four years, our budgets have been cut and cut and cut. So what gets cut first? Your proactive programs, your programs that aren't mandated. So we're really struggling to raise money privately for spay-neuter. Um, and I think that it's possible to um, really make a huge impact. Well, we know it is. I mean, you look at Jacksonville, you look at the spay-neuter clinic um, that they opened, and within four years, the shelter intake went from 30000 to 20000 So I think that that's the, the real key is to have money specifically designated for spay-neuter. We have to keep animals out of the shelter. We can all agree. Once they enter the shelter, it's just a race against It's hopeless. Time. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. Um, so what you're saying is that the political establishment has seems like, at least uh, I'm paraphrasing you, but you're saying that the political establishment has kicked the bucket down the line. Instead of doing the tough stuff, which will cost money, they just keep cutting the budgets and then telling you to deal with it. And the way you legally are allowed to deal with it is, is to kill them, basically. Is that what you're saying? Well, I think it's, but I don't think it's just government. I think it's our economy. I think every, you know, budgets are such a challenge everywhere. I mean, we have um, increased the number of animals saved from 6,000 to 14,000 just um, over the last five years, six years. Um, it's just a tremendous effort in increasing adoptions. We work with over 60 rescue partners. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, um, the communities, I think, um, there needs to be more education, um, definitely. But the community, I'll tell you, the, the number of animals increased over that time period is phenomenal. But the one thing that did not increase is the reunification, the return to owner. So yeah. where are these people who've you know, lost their pets are not claiming less than 1% of our strays are returned to their owners? Less than 1% of your strays are returned to the, meaning the owner is not looking for them, bottom line, right? You know what, I can't figure it out. Like look, our, our adoptions went from 3,000 to over 8,000. So, you know, obviously we're getting the word out. There's you know, more people aware of animal services, but we really can't seem to raise that number with the return to owners. Um, so, uh, you know, there's that's one um, serious issue that we're trying to look at other communities and see how other communities are raising that number. Um, I just looked at a report from last month, and this is dogs and cats that came into our shelter, 9% out of you know all those thousands had any identification wow. now out of those microchips out of those tags when we call the numbers associated with them they're disconnected so nine oh. percent had identification it doesn't mean traceable but that's a big issue for us and other shelters have you know a little bit higher percent but i, I think the identification piece is crucial crucial and their number is disconnected uh just just to set the record straight um how much does it bother you 
to be in charge of an organization that ends up killing, you know, 20,000, you know, innocent animals a year right now? What bothers me is that when I walk through my shelter, I don't understand how the community can allow this to happen. And if they knew and could see these animals, you know, I struggle every day to save as many as possible. And like I said, go and if you look at look at any other shelter, look at thousands of shelters, increasing the number of animals saved from 6,000 to 14,000, it's not typical. It's a big you deal. guys talk to a lot of shelters, so that's not a typical increase to more than double. Right. Especially in a community our size, I consider every euthanasia a failure. Um, and we work ourselves to the bone despite, look at our, uh, just our front counter. Our adoptions went from 250 to over 800 a month, and we lost staff. We, we had to cut two staff. Wow, wow. You know, so we're working so hard. So, so you know, we celebrate, the, you know, the increases and in, in saving more, but at the same time, it, it just pales in comparison. And, you know, you said 36,000 was last year. When I started in 2005, it was 28,000. The in, you mean the the number of dogs that were turned in was 28,000? The intake, yeah. Oh, the intake was 28, and it's up to 37, 36,000 now? Right, and yeah, Jeez. it was 09, 10 was, um, was 36. The year before it was 37. So here we are on that treadmill working, oh, we're saving more, we're saving more. Then the more is coming in the door. More is coming in the door. So, you know, you, you struggle to look at ways, and again, Look at ways. How are we going to stop them from coming in? We know mm. spay neuter is a huge part of it. I don't know if you guys talked to um, Pets for Life NYC, um, but we are trying to do a lot of things that they're doing. They focus on stopping animals from coming in. How can we help you? Do you need medical care? Do you need food? Do you need obedience training? You know, please, you know, help us help you keep your pet. So we're really, you know, desperate to find ways to do that. We this trend cannot continue. It's I, I I couldn't agree with you more, Sarah. Um, you're obviously philosophically against uh, the killing of animals. Of yet, course. Yet you're in, involved in this. You're actually the lead in an organization that that ends up unwittingly. Uh, killing 20,000 dogs a year right now, dogs and cats a year. Right. Let me so, ask you on, on a so personal I level. I would be there to stop that. Right, right. I'm not Why? there because I like it. Right. Why did you take the job? I took the job because I knew that I could make a difference. I knew there was a lot of work to be done, and um, I, that's really the bottom line. I was at Broward County for five and a half years. I was at the Humane Society of Broward County. Mm-hmm. So I was familiar um, with Miami, um, but I felt that I could make a difference. And what do you think is the greatest impediment? This one single monster, you know, 800 pound gorilla that you face in trying to reduce euthanasia in your shelter. What is the biggie? I can absolutely tell you. There's 2.4 million people in Miami Dade County. There's a 15% poverty rate, and there's less than 10,000 low-cost surgeries. So you have people that if we had these services, I know that they would spay-neuter their pet. Forget education and tell, you know, talking people into it. We had a spay-neuter clinic. Of course, we since had to cut um, many years ago. Excuse me. But we had a spay-neuter clinic, and our central call taker, 311 said, let us take messages for you since you can't handle the phone calls. And in three weeks, we had 4,000 people on a waiting list. So my point is, you know, if we had those services, people Mm -hmm. would use them. We could spay-neuter, but instead, look what's happening to our intake. So that's the whole point of stopping euthanasia, is stopping them from coming in the shelter. So you're saying that obviously there is a correlation, a very strong correlation between the poverty rate in the region and the, you know, and the recession that's really affecting the poverty, you know, the, the, the people on the lower scale, the economic scale, um, more negatively than on the top end, obviously. And the intake just shoots up through the sky. And you're saying that if you had, let's say, magically you had free spay-neuter, that would impact the economically depressed people from turning in their dogs. Is that what you're saying? Oh, yeah, no doubt. 
No doubt. Yes, absolutely. We're seeing it in many other communities. Yeah, but isn't the issue more about, um, okay, when you spay neuter a dog, the, the dog can't reproduce anymore. That's fine. But you still have to feed the dog and take care of the dog and house the dog. I mean, if you're saying that your numbers are going up on the intake side because um, you have a 15% poverty rate in, in the Miami region, um, that poverty rate isn't going to be affected by spay-neuter. They're still going to be turning their dogs in. It's just that they're not going to produce eight more puppies. Right, who are going to end up in the shelter. Yeah. So we're not just talking about dogs. I mean, we're talking about puppies and litters and, you know, pregnant animals. But, I mean, it's it's proven in, in other communities that there's a correlation between the shelter intake and spay-neuter. And, and spay-neuter, you would say, is the number one thing you would do. If you had anything that you could do, I had all the power in the, in the world to give you right now, that's the number one thing you would do to stop the killing. Yeah, I mean, there's many parts to it, but that's the biggest chunk is prevention and to stop them from coming in the shelter. Yeah. And how important is the commitment of your political organization in making these things happen? Uh, you, you mean our board of county commissioners? Well, even higher up, you know, going up to the y y your mayor, you know, the entire local political organization yeah. that that your your you know shelter depends upon yeah i think we're um, i feel very fortunate that um our commissioners across the board our county manager our mayor are very supportive of animal services unfortunately when you're competing with you know children's programs and cuts to programs for the elderly um that doesn't always translate into the funding um, so we focus, you know, we'll foc I set up a foundation to, um, to fund spay-neuter programs. We have a trust fund people can make donations to. But, yes, our, you know, our Board of County Commissioners and Mayor are, are definitely supportive of animal services. Nobody wants to euthanize animals. It's, it's horrible. It's heartbreaking every single day. Nobody wants to do that. So we need help. We don't need blame. We need people to get involved and sponsor these programs, um, help us volunteer at the shelter. We ask people to actually sit in our receiving office and, and help educate people mm -hmm. um, about leaving them at the shelter and the risk to exposure to infectious disease. Please make sure this is your last option and not your first. So, so yeah, we, I, really, I really feel blessed with the, the support that I've received from our officials well but on the one hand you know you say that you're blessed with the support you receive on the other hand you know with the same breath you tell us that how your budget's been cut and your intake numbers have gone up i mean these people all talk a really good game but like you just said when it comes down to priorities the animals always get the last ladder right i mean they're they're the last rung i would say they're not at the top I would say they're not at the top, and I don't know a community, you know, where they are. So the way that we're trying to deal with that is, again, you know, look to volunteer forces um, and, and raise money privately for spay-neuter and grants. We're writing a PetSmart Charities grant. So that's the reality. I don't know. I, I don't, you're not going to find a government where, you know, animal services is number one. You're not going to find it. So, you know, it takes a community. It takes a village. So, so who made the decision? Who made the decisions to push the animals and the pets way down in terms of importance to human life? Um, what I'm interested in is, is, is kind of seems like these guys, including our own mayor. He's been a terrible mayor for the animals. He lies through his mouth all over the place. He's been an awful mayor when it comes to the animal rights and, and, and the animal rights movement in, in New York. Who's making these decisions? Because what I'm saying to you is that if the people had a, had a voice and they had a choice and they knew what was going on, I think the people of this country would move the animals that they love so much up the ladder. I'm not saying they would put it above sick babies. I'm not saying they would put it above grandma. I'm saying that they would move it up from where it is, which is the bottom of the bottom of the bottom. I don't know who's made these decisions. I don't know. What, what, what do you think would happen if people had a choice in deciding where to place the money? I don't think it's the responsibility of our elected officials. I think our communities need to wake up and take responsibility. And again, you know, we see many people turn in their dogs and, 
And when I asked them, you know, oh, have you tried this? Have you talked to friends? No, I haven't. You know, so, you know, I don't know that that's ever going to happen. I mean, you'd have to talk to the elected officials to get their opinion. But so it's a community. It's pet owners. It's, it's people not caring about their pets or, you know, taking the time to find placement for them or devoting time to, you know, train them right from the beginning so that they become a, a great family member. I think it's a waste of time to blame elected officials. Um, you know, I don't see this, you know, going above a, a program for the elderly. So you know what? I'm going to do the best I can with what I have, try to get people to help me in multiple ways, um, whether it's volunteering or sponsorships or, you know, donating something uh, to the show. We did, we made an outdoor play area for the dogs with the donations that we get. So, um, so it takes a community, and it, and it really um, – it really needs to happen at, at the level of the pet owner. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I totally agree with you. Uh, Dr. Pisano, we're out of time in this sequence. Um, thank you so much for joining us. You've been a great guest, a great supporter of Dogs in Danger. Um, thank you very much for joining us at this very, very early Sunday hour. <laughs> That's okay. Listen, thanks so much for linking us. We really appreciate it. We were so grateful that our dogs get on your site. I hope we can do some good together. Thank you again. We'll be right back. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hey, Brenda, what's the best way for the good folks out there to help their furry friends? Well, they can buy our Dogs in Danger branded T-shirts, mouse pads, and postage stamps. And you know those stamps are real U.S. postal stamps, so you can use them every day. Just think, someone else finding out about this cause each time you send a letter. So please go to dogsindanger.com and buy from our selection of logoed products. Remember, each purchase helps us save a life. That's dogsindanger.com. Pets bring unconditional love into our lives every day. That's just one reason Best Friends Animal Society believes that every pet deserves a loving home. Best Friends runs the nation's largest sanctuary for homeless animals, but they do so much more. From helping community cats and delivering animals from overcrowded shelters and puppy mills to brand new lives, Best Friends and their members are saving animals from coast to coast every day. They're working with you and with humane groups all across the country to bring about a time when there are no more homeless pets. Join them. Becoming a Best Friends member is easy. Just visit them online at bestfriends.org and make a donation of any amount. With a gift of $25 or more, you'll receive a subscription to Best Friends magazine. Your contribution to Best Friends Animal Society will support their life-saving work and help animals both at the sanctuary and around the country. Together, we can bring about a time when there are no more homeless pets. To learn more and become a member today, visit bestfriends.org. Throw your dog a bone. Let him listen to the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour on 77 WABC. Back to Alex and Brenda. Well, we're back on the air. The Dogs in Danger Radio Hour is back on the air with the voices of the shelter directors that matter most in the lives of the pets out there. And I'm going to introduce quickly to a very important guest of ours, the leader and the newly assigned director of the New York, I'm sorry, the Los Angeles Animal Services, the largest animal shelter system in the United States, uh, Brenda Barnett. She's joining us from California. Brenda, are you good with morning. us? Good morning. I am. Good, good morning. Can Thanks. we say good morning to you yet, or is it good night, or what? <laughs> well, it is a little bit in the middle of the night here, but I, I guess technically it's good morning. Okay. And she was a real sport about it, too, because she would, right away she said, sure, I'd be happy to participate. Yeah, and what uh, you and I know, said, you do realize it's 3 a.m., right? No problem. I'll be there. <laughs> you didn't know that uh, Brenda gets up at 1 a.m. every morning, right? <laughs> so this is, this is no. nothing for her, right? No, she doesn't. <laughs> Uh, congratulations, so, Brenda, on, on getting uh, this uh, position. I know that this was a much sought-after, at least certainly interviewed position. It took a year for the L.A. Uh, board to decide to hire a new director, and you just got the job, I understand. Congratulations. Thanks. I've been here almost a year now. A year. Oh, it's a just year? It's a year. year. I, thought it yes. was, I thought it was just recent. Sorry about that. The numbers we saw on your website, uh, L.A. Animal Services takes in 54,000 dogs and cats a year. Uh, and about 20,000 are killed, which is, interestingly enough, the same as our prior guest at the Miami-Dade Shelter, except you guys take in a lot more dogs and cats than they do. It, are those about right numbers? 
Uh, they are. The, the numbers are going up now, unfortunately, uh, with the with the ones coming in. Uh, I, the last time I did the calculations, our live save rate was up just slightly, but it was only about one percent. So it's it's still it's not happening uh, in the way it needs to happen for the animals. Yeah, I, I we we got that sense exactly from uh, Sarah Pisano, also the director of Miami Dade. Um, you're a you're a no kill advocate. You're in probably the most pet friendly, uh, not probably, without a doubt, the most pet friendly state in the union. They love dogs and cats in California, and I love California, by the way. Um, you are a no kill advocate, and you are now the director of the largest kill system in the country. Well, you know, a director in in in, in this kill system that we have that you know responsible for twenty thousand dogs that died at that system last year. How do you balance these two? Well, I mean, it was a decision to try to uh, make a difference. This is the first time, you're right, that I've worked in a public uh, system. And uh, Los Angeles has been a controversial place for a long time. And, uh, they're, they're, you know, what I found, what I found since I've been here are there's a lot of really wonderful people and there's a growing um, number of both people and financial resources and organizations who want to make a difference. And they've been struggling and struggling and struggling for many, many years to try to make a difference. And I believe we're nearing a tipping point, uh, but it's very, very slow and uh, tedious to try to turn around a, a system that's as big as this one. I mean, Los Angeles Animal Control System's budget per intake is, I think, a little over twice what New York's per intakes budget is. It just tells you the kind of commitment the people of California have decided to give to their pets, which is admirable. I applaud them. Still, you're nowhere near becoming a no-kill shelter in California. What are your What are your aspirations, Brenda? What are your goals and aspirations for L.A. Animal Services if you were to stay there five years from now? What would you like to see? Well, I think that by the time I've been here three years, which will be in two more years, that we should really see the trends changing and uh, starting to go in the right direction. We should see our spay-neuter programs being more effective and fewer animals coming into the shelter shelter system. We should see more animals being adopted into homes. We should start to see a cultural shift where people are um, really taking a little bit more responsibility for their companion animals. And I think that would be, uh, uh, you know, that's a good goal for three years. And then I think in two more years you can expect the trends to actually see that they're going really in the right direction. And I would hope that there will be a spike in those next two years. And, and then I think it's really a seven-year project. And then I think the last two years of the seven would be to try to get people really adjusted to the cultural changes so that they become the norm. Uh, are you guys uh, on the Maddie's Fund uh, intake list? I mean, do you guys get money from the Maddie's Fund? We have right not now. gotten money from the Maddie's Fund, although uh, I think we should put an application in because we do publish our numbers. I think it's a little complicated to publish the numbers in the way that uh, Maddie's Fund wants the numbers uh, published. Um, but we, you know, that's definitely something we need to look at with them. And, and other shelters that I've worked for, we've been, uh, we've received money from Maddie's. What is your impression, personal impression, of the success or failure of Maddie's Fund? For those, for the listeners, that the tens of thousands of listeners that have never heard of Maddie's Fund, Maddie's Fund was a $200 million grant by some very wealthy and kind people that tried to impact the way animals are treated in this country. And uh, the money is being doled out to shelters in some very structured programs, all targeting the reduction of euthanasia rates. That's the whole program, and they, you know, they're they're trying very hard. What's your? I mean, they've been at it now for a while. I think maybe close to ten years. What's your feeling, uh, Brenda, regarding the effectiveness or uh, the f- efficacy of that huge grant? Well, I actually think I'm somewhat biased because Rich Amazino, who was who is the president of Maddie's Fund, was my boss at the San Francisco uh, SPCA for eight or nine years, and and I think he's absolutely a visionary, and uh, I think he's pretty amazing. Uh, their, their grants are very structured, and it makes them not the easiest grant to 
get or to um, to keep. But I, I think that you know a lot of people in the rescue community don't keep the kind of records they should. They're not really accurate records. But I think they've done some totally brilliant things. For example, they started the uh, shelter medicine programs in some of the veterinary colleges. And, and to me, one of the issues has been all along. When I was a kid, the vets never said. Uh, gee, you've lost your companion animal. When you're ready for a new one, why don't you visit the local shelter? It just it wasn't on the radar. And I think by having shelter medicine programs, we're training veterinarians who are in schools now all over the United States to think about shelter animals. So I think there's a whole um, sort of social engineering at, at work here that was started by Maddie's Fund. So there, I think there are many things that they do that are quite, quite extraordinary. Okay. Well, you, I think you are a bit biased, but uh, but <laughs> I, you know what? I, I, I take you for your word. Uh, what do you think about the role of euthanasia in animal control as it is in the United States, as applied in the United States? Well, I think it's terrible. Uh, you know, but you're faced with this dilemma. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's not okay, and I think, you know, but um, so I, I uh, took a job in a system where you you do kill animals to make space uh, and because of space, and, and you know, and I, do, I don't consider that euthanasia. I think euthanasia is when there's uh, pain and suffering, and, uh, but if you, if you left dogs um, in situations where you had so many in a run that you couldn't do anything, with them, they would fight and they would, you know, injure each other and kill each other, and so that wouldn't be healthy. I mean, I, I think we just have to chip away at this problem until we we don't have overcrowding in our shelter, so that we can give animals the the time that they deserve, till we can find them a home of their own. Well, you know, many people applauded your election to the post, as as I said previously, it was a it was a long drawn out process. And many people on my side of the fence and Brenda's side of the fence are now are, are full of anticipation. Here is this great lady that is a committed, committed no-kill advocate who is in charge of the biggest shelter system in the United States in the most pet-friendly, biggest budget uh, state and city in the United States. So all the stars have suddenly lined up, and everybody's waiting for great things for you to do over at L.A. Uh, what can possibly fail you? Well, I, I, you know, I think um, it, it's all a uh, crapshoot, if you will. I mean, it's it's not something that one person can do on their own. It's not something I can't ride in on this, you know, big white car and suddenly stop everything. It's going to take a, you know, really a slow, methodical change for Los Angeles City, and it's it's like uh, turning a big boat in the water, a ship where you've got currents going in different directions and. So it takes a while to do it, but I think we do have some amazing resources. I mean, Best Friends uh, Animal Sanctuary has really stepped up their participation in Los Angeles. And I've actually never seen a city or community really be successful that didn't have a strong public-private partnership. So we're, we're, you know, looking heavily to Best Friends to be that private partner to really help us make a difference. We're... You know, we have a, an amazing, amazing rescue community here in Los Angeles where uh, small uh, nonprofits take the animals out of the shelter. They do rehab work. They place them. They do a lot of different things. Uh, so I think to try to get that system down more cohesively. I had an opportunity a few weeks ago to go over to the UCLA uh, Law School, the Animal Law Department, and participate in a, a day-long seminar for some of the rescue groups to try to help them uh, figure out things like how to raise money, how to, you know, really get organized, and, and how to think through strategically what their long-term goals were to try to help them strengthen themselves. So I think there's a, there are a lot of building blocks that we have to put together. But, you know, Brenda, we here have um, a, a great advocate in the political system. His name is uh, Assemblyman. He's a New York Assemblyman. Um, his name is Micah Kellner. You probably have heard of him. Um, he's he's a champion. He's Ivanhoe in in his you know, in his uh, cloak of armor, and he's so rare. It's he's ridiculously rare in the political animal to find a man like that who has a conscience and caring for the pets that live with us, breed with us, eat with us, love us, sleep in our beds in most cases, not in mine, but 
in a lot of cases. Um, why are we unable to find more Micah Kellners that will lead the people? The people want to be led, I think. I don't think the people, yeah, of course, there's the losers out there that dump their animals into animal shelters, but there are losers all over our society. We some, we have losers that walk into the, you know, when they have a cough, they walk into a hospital. We take care of them. We have losers that have no money, and we don't force them to pay taxes. What? Half this country doesn't pay any tax. We don't force them. We don't put them in jail. Losers are everywhere, and these kind of losers, they're losers that turn their dogs into the animal shelters. Why are we unable to find the political leaders that will help us, help the people find solutions to these losers that are really the, the real cause of the animal problem. I mean, they're the ones that are dumping their dogs. Well, I think one of the things that might help might be uh, if politically there would be lists of people who, you know, really support our issues. I mean, there are certainly in other movements, there, um, there are lists of people that you know are going to vote the way you want to. Now, we're, we're pretty lucky in Los Angeles. I mean, our mayor is very supportive of our issues. He worked very hard and worked with the community to uh, recruit and bring me here. And we've got, you know, at least four of our 15 um, uh, city council members are people who really do prioritize and have prioritized. I mean, you know, uh, if you start with um, Councilmember Alarcon started uh, first uh, on spay-neuter, and uh, as did Councilmember Cardenas. Uh, Councilmember Corrette is working now to on some legislation to uh, ban the sale of ill-bred puppies in the uh, Los Angeles pet stores. Councilmember Rosendahl has been strong for the animals. I mean, actually, those are the ones who sort of stand up and immediately lead on legislation for the animals. But the others have been very supportive as well. And I think what they know in Los Angeles is their voters uh, and their constituents want them to vote for the animals. Yeah, they, they do. And, you know, the reason that we talk about Los Angeles so much is because we have, I mean, we have really a miserable mayor when it comes to the animals here. And the New York City ACC is just a disaster. It's just a disaster. And he PRs himself all over the place about how good he's doing. And it's a, it's a it's sheer disaster. Everybody in the animal, animal community here would shut it down, would burn the place down uh, and take the animals out of it if they could and if it was legal. Um, you guys are the shining ray of hope because the people care more, it seems like. You guys are able to allocate more of your money to it. Um, and still 20,000 dogs are being killed over there. I mean, you know, it just seems so hopeless. Do you think that you're ever going to see a day when a major shelter like Los Angeles, with the support of their community, will have no euthanasia of dogs? Well, I do. Now, the 20,000 is dogs and, and dogs cats and cats, yeah. other animals. So, you know, the cats actually uh, statistically are a whole lot worse than the dogs yeah. are at this point. So, and, and that's true in many communities so you know we'll probably see the dogs in respectable numbers uh, before the cats because so far cats you know people are not always recognizing cats for the great companions that they are so i think there you know there are different challenges by species but yes i, I think it's you know it's an evolutionary process and it, it's if you look at most of the country cities like los angeles are at some levels behind the curve in, in, uh, in many ways because there are communities who uh, are achieving basically at least an 85 or 90 percent life safe rate. And, you know, we just have a whole lot more work to do here. But I, but I also believe we have the resources here. And so you're seeing a day where you could do an 85 percent, 90 percent life save rate. Absolutely. I think we, you know, I think we're on our way. I think right now we're, uh, unfortunately, the numbers coming in have have escalated, which, you know, is a, is a problem of not having enough spay and neuter. We're not, so we're, we're looking at different things. We've had a voucher program to give low-income people assistance with their spay and neuter, and we're looking at uh, possibilities now to, to take and, and discuss that instead of maybe the voucher system is too complicated. Maybe it's too hard for people to get a voucher. If, you know, if you're low income and you don't have a car and you can't get out to pick up a voucher, maybe that's a foolish way to do it. So we're, we're trying to formulate ideas such as targeted 
uh, zip codes because we can pretty much tell in our zip codes if the, if the zip code is predominantly inhabited by people who are low income mm-hmm. and by people who don't have cars. Mm-hmm. So maybe those are the people, maybe it's a little stupid on our part if we expect those people to get to a shelter to get a voucher. Maybe we should just make spay and neuter free for that particular zip code. So we're looking at some more strategies and some more progressive strategies that would, that would help us get, you know, help us help the people uh, be part of the solution. One last question. If, if I go back to my famous magic button here, and if I pushed that magic button and was able to give you free spay-neuter for anybody that lives in greater Los Angeles County, okay, if I was able to give you this benefit, that, that free spay-neuter for anybody at all that, that lives in greater Los Angeles County, do you think that uh, the euthanasia problem would go away by itself? Well, I don't think it would go away by itself, but I think that would make a huge dent in it because it would stop the animals from coming into the shelter. And that's that's the issue. You've, we've just got terrible, terrible crowding in the shelter. And, and the way to stop it is to have fewer animals produced. And, and they're still there. I mean, it's uh, here the pit bulls and the chihuahuas are just out of control. And, you know, pit bulls have big litters. They have healthy litters, and they survive. Uh, the chihuahuas, when I first got to... Los Angeles. I couldn't figure out why in the world we had so many chihuahuas until I went out with our animal control officers on a ride along, and I realized those are the wiriest little creatures in the world, and they're just hard to catch. I mean, they are, you know, loose in the streets and breathing and having litters and uh, darting under fences and under houses, so you can't catch them. So, you know, if we could just get the people who uh, do live with them and feed them and love them to, to and use them for free, then, then we could stop the reproduction. Um, what percentage of your shelter currently, in your opinion, is uh, pit bulls and uh, uh, pit bull mixes and, and chihuahuas combined? Well, oh wow. Well, for pit bulls, for sure, it's well over 30%. And, um, you know, probably a lot of the rest of them are th- these small chihuahua mixes. And not a whole lot of medium-sized dogs when you walk through. I mean, it, it seems to be, I mean, it really does seem to be uh, pit bulls and chihuahuas. Now, the chihuahuas are easier to place. I mean, we'll take in 600 pit bulls in a month, and even with what the rescues pull, and they're wonderful about helping us with the pit bulls, we can still usually not place even 200 out of the 600 yeah. a month. Yeah. So we That's just have to stop the, the Production. The pit bulls are, are a big problem everywhere. Uh, Brenda, uh, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, thankfully, you wake up at 1 a.m. in the morning every day, so this is nothing <laughs> for you. So thank you thank you again for joining us 100 times over. Um, you're doing a good job out there. Uh, we'll be talking to you again, but we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're running out of time, so we're going to have to take a break. Okay. We could talk forever well, on this you. subject. Thanks for getting the word out. Thank you, Brenda. Thanks very much. We'll be back. And we'll Bye. be back. Hi. This is Alex and Brenda from the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour with a special message for you, WABC listeners. Our charity, the Buddy Fund, has saved over 50,000 dogs from being killed, placing them in loving homes across the country. Through our program, Dogs in Danger, we give a voice to the voiceless and raise awareness about issues and indiscretions in the animal community that would otherwise go unnoticed. However... As a charity, we are dependent on donations from listeners like you to keep the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour alive on WABC Radio. We ask that you please look into your hearts, and if you support our cause and want to continue help us make a difference, please log on to dogsindanger.com and make a donation to the Buddy Fund. Any amount you can spare would go a long way in helping keep animals out of kill shelters and informative programming on the air. It's up to listeners like you to help make the difference in the life of a furry little friend. So please log on to dogsindanger.com and make a difference. Love rabbits? So do we. Come visit the Best Friends Animal Society website during Rabbit Week, July 18th through the 24th, to explore everything about rabbits. Best Friends Animal Society is working all around the country to help animals and to bring about a time when there are no more homeless pets. Plus, our very special pet sanctuary is unlike any other on Earth. It's something you have to experience to believe. So come visit us at bestfriends.org. That's bestfriends.org to learn more about the magic. And don't forget to join us 
us for Rabbit Week. Pets bring unconditional love into our lives every day. That's just one reason Best Friends Animal Society believes that every pet deserves a loving home. Best Friends runs the nation's largest sanctuary for homeless animals, but they do so much more. From helping community cats and delivering animals from overcrowded shelters and puppy mills to brand new lives, Best Friends and their members are saving animals from coast to coast every day. They're working with you and with humane groups all across the country to bring about a time when there are no more homeless pets. Join them. Becoming a Best Friends member is easy. Just visit them online at bestfriends.org and make a donation of any amount. With a gift of $25 or more, you'll receive a subscription to Best Friends Magazine. Your contribution to Best Friends Animal Society will support their life-saving work and help animals both at the sanctuary and around the country. Together, we can bring about a time when there are no more homeless pets. To learn more and become a member today, visit bestfriends.org. The Dogs in Danger Radio Hour. Honest talk, even when it bites. On 77 WABC. Here are your hosts, Alex and Brenda. Hey, let me tell you, we're back on the air. Um, Those are the toughest shows, Brenda, for me. Uh, When we talk to people on the front lines um, of the shelter problem, of the pet problem, um, the people that see every single day these dogs and, and cats being turned in by these losers and then end up killing them. And yeah, and between those two shelters, we're, we're talking about uh, about 100,000 animals a year, that just those two cities, just Miami that and go in L.A. The door. Right. So think about, you know, the big picture and what that means all across that all across the country. Yeah. And, you know, and what we've what we all knew before we went into the show and we heard from the shelter directors today uh, themselves is that this is a really complicated issue. And when you start talking about things like, you know, we heard uh, Brenda Barnett uh, uh, of uh, the L.A. Animal Services say, really, what we're doing here is social engineering. When did that fall to shelter directors? Yeah, exactly. When did that become the responsibility of the yeah, shelter directors e- exactly. in this country? Yeah. And, and what's amazing is that both directors said the same thing. Did you notice? They both said the numbers are going up. The intake numbers the intake are going up. numbers right. are going so up. So as hard as they're fighting to try to save the animals, yeah. it, it's just, it, you know, the, the, the flood keeps are coming. Going up. Right. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a complicated issue. And, it you know, it, it takes it does take a community. They're both right in that respect. It takes the, the politicians. It takes the support of the community. It takes, you know, I refuse to believe that the people in L.A. care more about the, their animals than the people in New York. I refuse to believe that. I refuse to believe that also. But, but the people in New York... Um, have not expressed their voice quite as effectively. No, they have not. There's um, a small group of committed people in New York, but by and large, they have most not. people are not. They have not, absolutely. And and Los Angeles has. Um, and it's a shame and it's a it's a um, it's a it takes, it's a wound it takes community on New programs. York's heart, it, whether yes, it, it knows it or not, it whether the people absolutely of New York is. realize or not. And it hurts for it to be our hometown. Yeah, it does. Um, but most most today. importantly, it takes a shelter director at the top who's committed to saving lives and doing everything they can to save lives. And on that note, we have one Dogs in Danger dog today uh, to talk about, and that is uh, a dog at the Miami-Dade Animal Services Shelter, uh, and her name is Sisset. At least I think I'm pronouncing it that way. They're spelling it C-I-C-E-T. And and she is a young female, tan and black, German shepherd mix. Shelter staff thinks she's about three years old. And look at the face. Look at the face. Oh. I mean, you have to go to our website He's and look at this dog. Sissette she's is just, begging you guys. She's adorable. She's begging Save for her dog. home. She looks so friendly, and she's just begging for her life. So. Visit dogsendanger.com. Check out Miami Shelter, and you'll find Sissette. See if you can help. She's running out of time. There's, do something good for Sissette. Even more important. And we're out of time. Do something good for yourself. Right. So this.